This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. This is episode number two, Always Beside You. Good evening. I say good evening because it is evening and it's Monday evening. And unfortunately, I was unable to upload this podcast yesterday on Sunday afternoon as I would like to do each week because I encountered some technical difficulties with my original recording. So I'm back at it, getting after it, and I'm re-recording, and hopefully it will be a better podcast as a result. As I said, this is episode number two, Always Beside You. And this is a episode about friendship. It's about friendship and the role that friendship plays in recovery and life. As we begin this episode, our second, I would like to, again, reiterate what we are. We're a podcast that is about service to the community at large, but also service to the recovery community. This is not an AA meeting and this should not stand in place of your regular AA meeting. We encourage all listeners, especially those in the program, to regularly attend meetings, to have a home group, to have a sponsor, and to sponsor other men or women. We're not therapists. We're just fellow journeymen, fellow passengers on the journey, on the path, who are trying to offer hope, maybe a moment of solace. If you're alone, if you're suffering, if you can't get to a meeting, if you're in your car, if you're in an airport, or you're just home alone, or maybe you're with a group and you'd like to share this, but this is really for those who just need some form of comfort, and I hope that this is that form of comfort and nourishment. Finally, as with the other episodes that will be in this podcast and that have already been, this program is a program of anonymity, and anonymity is the foundation of everything we do. I ask that you respect my anonymity. If you would like to contact me, you may do so at Extravagant Promises Podcast at gmail.com or at Extravagant Promises Podcast on Instagram. If you would like to know more about me in private, please contact me through those media, either that email, the podcast email account or Instagram. And I will be glad once I know who you are and why you would like to know to share more about my identity and, and my background, and certainly more than I do on the podcast at this time. I'm not trying to be mysterious. I'm just trying to protect my anonymity and make this podcast about our mutual common journey of recovery and redemption 
and not about me personally, even though a lot of these stories and my story is personal to me. I try also to be radically honest and to bring a level of radical acceptance to this podcast. So when I tell my story, I stick strictly to the facts, strictly, strictly to the truth. This is what happened. This is how it was. This is what happened to me. And this is how it is now. As I said earlier, this podcast is about friendship. And specifically, I'd like to start with a phrase that I learned and heard on different occasions in different settings. But the last time I heard this phrase was from a friend of mine who probably will be a guest on the podcast, who is a veteran of our military and in the Ranger Regiment and a combat medic friend of his who served had a unit motto or a unit regiment saying that was never above you, never below you, always beside you. And I found that to be so telling and perfect for a number of settings in life and our journey as human beings, but also as our journey in recovery. And if you think about it, it really pertains to the most intimate of relationships. Never above you, never below you, always beside you. You might say that to a child. You might say it to your spouse. You might say it to your best friend. And in fact, as I talk about later in the program, I think that's what the program says to us. It says you never have to drink again and you never have to be alone again. There's always a room where you will be accepted. There's always a room where you won't be judged. There's always a room where you can find solace and hope. And you can always find friendship. I do find that friendship and sober buddies, sober friends, sponsorship, things like that, those are crucial to recovery. And they're crucial to life. We know, for the most part, human beings require intimate personal contact. Sometimes, in fact, physical human skin-on-skin contact with another human being in order to thrive and to survive. I am sure, just as I'm sure you can get sober without the program, you can recover alone. I've heard it's been done. I'm sure it's possible. I've just never seen it happen myself. And I've never met anyone who was successful in doing this alone. In fact, think about what the program always says. We do together that which we cannot do alone. Even if we are entirely isolated, we are not alone. We have the ultimate friend, our higher power. It, can there be anything greater than something bigger than ourselves that we know 
deep inside our hearts, deep, deep inside our hearts, you know that your higher power is never above you, never below you, always beside you. Your higher power, as you understand him, as I understand my higher power, walks beside me and carries me when I fall, when I'm weak, nourishes and nurtures me when I need sustenance, and encourages me when I need that push. So as we begin this episode about friendship, let's have a moment of silence. Let's set our intentions. And let's say to our higher power, you're the God of your understanding. God, today, be my friend. Bring me a friend. Bring those who are friendless or who have no friends a friend. Be their friend. God, allow me to have the capacity to be a friend and to befriend those who are in need. Allow me to return friendship to those who have offered me so much. Allow my friends joy, prosperity, love, and peace in their lives. Amen. This episode, I'd like to begin with uh, several recommendations, and I will be doing some readings as we go through about friendship. But first, I, I strongly recommend another podcast. There are a number of podcasts that I'm going to be recommending throughout this existence of this podcast. And one of them is the Redeemer Church in New York, a gentleman by the name of Timothy Keller. And there is a sermon online, uh, you can find it very easily, in which he discusses friendship. And in that podcast, and I do have to give credit to that very impressive and spiritual man. Um, He says, a friend always lets you in and never lets you down. And that just sounds so much like our phrase, doesn't it? Never above you, never below you, always beside you. Always lets you in and never lets you down. Now, as we know from the program, this, this, our life our program, our progress. It's about progress, not perfection. I am sure that not a man or woman among us can raise their hand and say, I have never f- failed to let in a friend or, and I have never let a friend down. Come on. We've all fallen. We've all done things we wish we hadn't done. We've all been wanting when it came to a friend from time to time. But the beautiful thing about friends is you know, for the most part, they forgive you and you forgive them because they're there when you're in that moment of terrible vulnerability, weakness, and ultimately strength because they can see you. They see you speak your truth. They see your truth. 
They feel your truth and they honor your truth. That's who a friend is. It's not just someone who likes you or someone who admires you, but it's someone who says, you too? I thought I was the only one. And again, I have to give credit elsewhere for that. That was not my own. But but someone who stands essentially with their soul open and naked to you and you to them and, and you love everything about them. And you will always let them in and you will never let them down. And they do the same for you. As I do with most of my shares and my stories, I, I make this about about me. <laughs> I'm always accused of, yeah, this is always about you. <laughs> uh, my kids certainly say that. But um, I try to share my experience, strength, and hope and not make up stories. In fact, I don't make up stories. I, I tell the truth, and I'm radically honest and I don't say that as a badge of honor or anything. I just say that is my past life. I felt that I did keep secrets and I was therefore a liar, a cheater and a thief. And I suffered in my spiritual emptiness. And I found that you're only as sick as your secrets. And so telling radical truth and being full and faithful with the facts, a strict adherence to the facts as I hear in the rooms. That's truth. That's honesty. So this podcast about friendship starts with this past week, August 21st, was the birthday of a man who I've known for almost 40 years and who is my best friend and my soulmate, uh, he is a man among men, in my opinion. He is the man in his home with his beautiful wife and his child, who I'll talk about. But he is and will always be my friend. And he celebrated his 52nd birthday. And I'm so proud to know him, and I'm proud to have him in my life. And I think as you hear our story I hope that you have someone like that in your life as well. And we'll talk about nurturing those types of friendships. <clears throat> so this story starts with a child's prayer. A long time ago at a rustic, rural, all-boys camp in western North Carolina... A young boy, this young boy, sat around a campfire listening to a counselor tell a story about friendship. And specifically this counselor, and you can imagine the setting, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old boy looking up, kind of like the smoke and the cool fire in the, in the, in the evening of the mountains with a late 70s, James Taylor-looking counselor. You get the type. Super cool, in other words. Um, telling a story about his friend. And he told about this lifelong friendship and how this friend had 
they had gone through high school together and they, the, the friend had gotten into a prestigious university, but my counselor had not. And the friend decided to go to the less prestigious school so he could be with his friend. That just seemed so cool to me. And they were together and they were buddies and they were best friends. And this is the reason we were learning about this is because the counselor's best friend had fallen in a rock climbing accident and was probably not going to survive the weekend. And our counselor was just sharing where he was with it and how much his heart hurt and how much his soul was aching to be near his friend. And I was, like I said, 10 or 11 years old, and I was just sitting there in wonder because I didn't know such friendship. I had a really cool brother who I loved a lot. He's, a, again, a, a mighty man, and I love him, uh, and he will be on the podcast. But, but he wasn't my best friend in the sense of someone not related to me who I developed and forged this friendship with. And I didn't really have such a friend. And I thought... And I was young. I hadn't really had time to develop such a friendship. We had moved many, many times due to the Vietnam War and my father's medical training and uh, internships and residencies and things like that, service overseas. And I hadn't had the opportunity to spend much more than a year with any one person as a friend. And I I don't know that I'd call it a prayer, but I certainly called it a wish, a desire, a prayer to me now. I said, I, I hope one day I can have a friend like that. I didn't even think about maybe I could be like that for someone. I just was thinking, I really hope that one day there's someone who will think of me like that. I'd like to turn for a moment to the scripture, and I am by no means a, a, a man of, of the Bible or someone who is well-versed in the Bible or scripture, but I do think of the disciples and Jesus and what that meant in terms of friendship and the ultimate form of sacrifice. And there are many deeper layers to the sacrifice. But if we turn for a moment and think about what was happening as Jesus sat with his disciples at the Last Supper and prepared for what he knew was going to be an agonizing and excruciating demise and, and crucifixion. And he said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. He goes on to say, I'm giving you these commands so that you love, may love one another. And we think about that. I mean, think, think about those phrases. 
greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The incredible friendship and the meaning of friendship, this deep, intimate, spiritual bond between human beings who are not blood relatives, but are instead connected by some form of love and mutual society. Back in 1981, I arrived at a prestigious, very competitive New England boarding school in Western Massachusetts. I was 14 years old. My parents lived in a little town called Monroe. And it was far in the deep south. And we drove several days to get there. We didn't, I mean, back then, even if you flew, it probably took you a couple days because of uh, the little towns. And, um, and I was coming from a small um, public school in the deep south. And this is a place where you had to get up crack of dawn and get after it coat and tie to class all boys you had to play sports and play hard you had to study hard and it was a lot of fun but it was also in some ways very much of the spartan existence um, i think there are a lot of missing mis characterizations or certainly misimpressions out there about life at such schools back then i mean people either think of some sort of uh Bright lights, big city, <laughs> and there's plenty of that to go around. I'm sure, and you know, in the '80s, and in New England and New York, but uh, or 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 dead poet society, and it it wasn't. It was it was, but it was good. But I was certainly excited and thrilled, but very much of the naive, nervous kid. And I showed up there, and I met this gentleman's friend boy uh, at the time who was from New York City and he just was kind of one of those guys who was had a had a little bit of a smirk and a little bit of too much wisdom but he was cool and there was something that clicked with us and he just seemed to 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 have something that I wanted in terms of friendship he seemed to know know something or just be a good kid and I'll never forget it. Um, we were in algebra class, ninth grade, and sitting there with my blue blazer and my tie, and this fellow rolled in there, you know, no socks on, probably little hair lo a little longer than 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 was fashionable in the deep south, let's say, you know, just looking cool and 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 being cool. And I wanted to be friends, and it took a while for us to become friends, but we did. And we, like a lot of the guys there, we, we bonded over sports. Um, I was an athlete and, um, I enjoyed some success in athletics and that helped me to bond. Um, and I will talk at some point about my story and, uh, 
and how I ended up in the rooms, but this isn't really the place for that yet. Um, because this friendship actually there's there, it's a long friendship and there's so much that will be woven in and out of my history and my story. But I really want to focus more on, on the aspect of friendship and recovery and, and my particular story in that regard. So I'm, I'm up there and I'm in boarding school. And as you can imagine, we have these strict teachers, schoolmaster types who make us not only perform on the athletic field and, and we're just growing up, uh, but we also have to do things like recite poetry and, and whatnot. And it was, it was actually really cool because we were, we were Renaissance men and we thought we were, (laughs) I'm sure we were just, you know, probably just a bunch of punks. But anyway, um, one of the poets that we spent a lot of time studying was Robert Frost. A time to talk. When a friend calls to me from the road and slows his horse to a meaning walk, I don't stand still and look around on all the hills I haven't hoed and shout from where I am, what is it? No, not as there is time to talk. I thrust my hoe in the mellow ground, blade end up and five feet tall, and plod. I go up to the stone wall for a friendly visit. Wow. I, I think that one of the things I love about Robert Frost is the just simple, sparse language and the 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 way in which I don't know if it is it is it the phrase parsimony or the law of parsimony, kind of like Occam's razor, um, the simple over the complex. Um, but what I look at and listen to when I see that, it's I'm sure there are double meanings. I'm sure there are concepts that Frost probably maybe meant that I'm not getting. But I get this with someone who's who's saying a friend calls to me from the road. And he slows his horse to a meaning walk. Meaning, you know, that that suggests to me that there's a need. And he and the the author obviously could stand still and think about all the work that's not done and say what is it from where he is but no he's not going to do that as long as there's time to talk and he leaves his hoe in the mellow ground and and it, it would suggest that he's going to come back i suppose and 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 continue continue working but he goes up for a friendly visit so I think that's a nice, a nice poem about friendship. So my friendship with this then young fella, now 52, um, continued. And when I was a sophomore at this school, um, like I said, it was in New England. And there is a storied, um, oft kind of discussed black tie holiday ball. Uh, you know, one of these things you, you read about in F. Scott Fitzgerald or Evelyn Waugh over in, and, and, and this ball was called the gold and silver. And it was one of those things that you wanted to get invited to, but 
you kind of had to know somebody or be known to somebody in order to get an invitation. And some people made kind of a big deal when they got their invitations in our old mailboxes and, and whatnot. And I really wanted to go. I had no clue how to get invited, but somehow, somewhere I ended up with an invitation. I'm, I'm still not exactly sure. I think that some parental intervention occurred, um, somewhere, but in any event, it was, it was, and I'm, I'm actually fairly confident of that. Um, but I was 15, 16. Um, I think I was 15 actually. And I was, you know, I had to fly home to Louisiana. Um, and, and this all sounds rather swish. I can, I can, I can imagine how, how it may sound, but you know, this is, this is the eighties and, and I'm just, again, this scrawny little kid way out of my element, but trying to fit in desperately in a crowd that was running a lot faster than probably I had any business being connected to. But anyway, I, I, I was able to get a tuxedo in like a day's time somehow down there and get sent back to New York. And I was staying with a kid who was in my class. It was a good friend, a buddy, not a great friend. But he was bigger, older, um, had a shaved head, was a punk rocker, you know, preppy punk rocker type, you know, the kind, the, the overcoat with the anarchy or the black flag buttons. Um, and I was staying with his mother and him, and I was going to be going to this party with them. And this was one of those events where you show up and there are hundreds of other kids just like you. And it's, on the one hand, very cool and very uh, something they write about in magazines, I guess, or in, like I said, F. Scott Fitzgerald short stories. But to me, it was entirely overwhelming. And one of the things about it was when you went inside, you were not allowed to leave. And if you did leave, you were not allowed to come back. And... um I'm in New York City. I'm 15 years old, I think, and I don't know my way around the city. I don't have a card in my pocket with, you know, Paddington Bear, this is where I live, or send me home here. I probably had some money, but, and a driver's license, maybe, but no idea. And of course, as you can imagine, my, the, the guy I'm staying with immediately takes off with some older kids. I think he was trying to, connect with an older girl who wasn't going to the party and took, he took off and, um, and left me there. And I was, you know, can, can you imagine being in a sea of several hundred kids who look exactly like you or you and your friends and you, you know, some kids from school and some kids from other schools, but you're really a long, long way from safe and a long, long way from home. And, uh, and, and yet you've got to maintain that, that uncaring panache, that smile that says I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Right. I think people in the program know exactly what, what I'm talking about got to kind of keep that cool but boy you are anything but inside you're <laughs> so somehow i came across my my friend about whom this segment is dedicated and directed and i don't recall if he 
just intuitively surmised or knew that I was <laughs> up a creek or if he or if I told him. But either way, he quickly discerned that I was I was lonely. I was a bit intimidated and I was going to be kind of in trouble if I got left. And he said, hey, let's have a good time. Stick with me. Always lets you in, never lets you down. You know, when you're 15 and a kid who you think, you know, has a lot better things to do and a lot cooler people to be chasing around says something like that to you, like, hey, stick, stick with me. We're going to go have a good time. I'm going to make sure you get home. He lived in the general vicinity of New York, Upper East Side or whatever, where, where the guy I was staying with stayed. And he said, I know where you're going, and I'll make sure you get there. Um, and we did. We had a phenomenal time. Um, it, was, it was a great time, and, and we, I was able to relax and, and, and enjoy myself because I knew that I had somebody looking after me. And... You know, here we are 37 years later, and I still remember it, and I remember every detail of it, and, and I won't forget it. And it was just that kind of that, 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 that bonding where you say, and it seems a little bit superficial in some ways, I'm sure, to some, but, you know, think about when you were, if you were ever in an environment like that where you were just out of your league, out of your depth over your head in every capacity and someone said, hey, I got you. I got you. We're good. You're good. They always let you in, never let you down. And we became just inseparable after that. Uh, we, we hung out a lot in high school after that. Um, we did not go to the same college, but we didn't go too, too terribly far away from each other. And we spent a lot of time in the summers together. Um, I remember at one point I went through Marine Corps Officer Candidacy School at Quantico. I was convinced I was going to get kicked out uh, because I was didn't think I was in good enough shape. And we had a plan that uh, rather than endure the absolute abject humiliation and shame of returning home as a DOR or, or just kicked out. I would go to New York and I would stay with him and we, I would lay low. Uh, thankfully I, I did not get kicked out and I graduated, but, um, but that was our plan. You can tell the best laid plans of you know kids like that, young men like that. Um, and so we continued on in life and, we became uh, even closer. He ultimately was in my wedding and became the godfather to both my daughters and I the godfather to his daughter. And those are sacred relationships. Um, there is another one of us, um, and I talked about this in my first podcast, another man who was kind of the third musketeer or first musketeer, either way you want to say it, one of the musketeers, and um, he passed away in August of, I'm sorry, May of 2012. And that'll be another full story, but um, 
but the three of us were really bonded uh, at an early age. And this gentleman, um, and I won't I won't say his name because I'll let him come on the podcast and 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 discuss his own story if he wants to or um, or not. Uh, anyway, we became fast friends and and we were and we were close and we could depend on each other. And for a number of years after I went to law school and we were again in the business of finding our spouses and and becoming parents, sometimes the relationship would would shift in terms of it would never shift in terms of its loyalty and its strength and its deep bond, but it would shift in terms of which one was taking care of the other. There were times when you could say that maybe I, my friend was leaning on me more for spiritual support or financial help or this or that or advice. And there were certainly times that I was leaning on him um, a lot. It was, it was, it was certainly a two-way street. The Municipal Gallery Revisited by William Butler Yeats. Around me, the images of 30 years... An ambush, pilgrims at the waterside, casement upon trial, half hidden by the bars, guarded, Griffith staring in hysterical pride, Kevin O'Higgins' countenance that wears, a gentle questioning look that cannot hide, a soul incapable of remorse or rest, a revolutionary soldier kneeling to be blessed, an abbotter archbishop with an upraised hand, blessing the tricolor, this is not, I say, the dead Ireland of my youth, but an Ireland the poets have imagined terrible and gay. Before a woman's portrait suddenly I stand, beautiful and gentle in her Venetian way. I met her all but fifty years ago for twenty minutes in some studio. Heart smitten with emotion, I sink down, my heart recovering with covered eyes. Wherever I had looked, I had looked upon my permanent or impertinent impermanent images. Augusta Gregory's son, her sister's son, Hugh Lane, on lie begetter of all these, Hazel Lavery living and dying that tale, as though some ballad singer had sung it all. Mancini's portrait of Augusta Gregory, greatest since Rembrandt, according to John Sine, a great ebullient portrait certainly, but where is the brush that could show anything of all that pride and that humility? Am I in despair that time may bring approved patterns of women or of men, but not that selfsame excellence again? My medieval knees lack health until they bend, but in that woman in that household where honor had lived so long, all lacking found. Childless, I thought, my children may find here deep-rooted things, but never foresaw its end. And now that end has come, I have not wept, no fox can foul the lair the badger swept. An image out of Spencer in the common tongue. John Sign, I, and Augusta Gregory thought all that we did, all that we said or sang, must come from contact with the soil. From that, we th contact everything Antaeus-like grew strong. We three alone in modern times had brought everything down to that soul test again. Dream of the noble and the beggar man. And here's John Sign himself, that rooted man. 
forgetting human words, a grave, deep voice. Face, you that would judge me, do not judge alone. This book or that, come to this hallowed place. Where my friends' portraits hang and look thereon, Ireland's history in their lineaments trace. Think where man's glory most begins and ends, and say my glory was I had such friends. So I will jump forward. And before I do, and, and tell you to this, the, the part of the story that, that really is a portion of my recovery and, and my journey. But before I do, I do encourage the study of friendship and a mate, a wingman, a battle buddy. There are lots of different names for it, for men and women. They're, they're, they're friend, deep best friend, partner. But I think it's well it's it's well trodden and it's oft said that life is just a lot easier if you've got a friend. And I know that loneliness, they say that loneliness is the equivalent to your health of smoking. And you think about how bad smoking is for you. Um yeah, that's what loneliness does. And I know, as I said, I'm sure there are folks out there who could prove me wrong, but from my estimation, my experience, you can't do this alone. This thing called life, this thing called recovery. You can't fight a war alone. And why would you? And that's half the fun is, is walking the path of trudging the path of happy destiny together. So... As, as I've mentioned in my first episode, early in recovery, I, was, I, I had descended to a pretty dark place. Again, I wanted to be clear. I never, ever was in a place where I committed any illegal acts, nor did I ever do anything professionally unsound. But that doesn't matter. I mean, it was my soul that was sick, and it was my soul that was hurting, and it hurt so much that there were plenty of times when I thought a swift end, whether painless or otherwise, would be a welcome respite from the suffering that I was enduring. Those early days of recovery were tough. I was in what the authorities, uh, I guess the counselors, the child psychologists, the divorce lawyers call a high conflict divorce. And I felt beset upon on all sides. I was somewhat temporarily estranged from my kids. I was living alone in a not so great, uh, apartment and, and, Far from the trappings of success that I had enjoyed um, prior to uh, the events of 2013, and and we'll get into those events. Don't don't worry. But but that's not for today. The point is that you know a couple months in, I was 
I had rolled back that rock of that in front of that cave, and I was not happy with what I was seeing. It was it was scary, and I was suffering, and I was afraid, and I was kind of reaching my the end of my tether. And you know, a man who had been my best friend for almost forty years did what men who are your best friend for forty years do. There have been times in our life where I had had more financial success, I would say, uh, or financial means to to tap into. And so often, you know, there was an imbalance there early. Like I said, sometimes it would go the other way. But I never really felt that I had somebody who said, like I said, back in that day when I was 15, I got you. And in, in fact, I insist on having your back. And you, and, and that's what my friend did just as he had in 1982, he called me up and he said, I'm emailing you a plane ticket to Sun Valley, Idaho, where he was living then and, and lives now. And that's also another story, but, but he said, I'm sending you a plane ticket out here. You are not allowed to pay for it. I've already bought it. And I'm ordering you as your best friend to leave all of your money and all of your credit cards at home. You're going to come out here with essentially nothing but some clothes and your presence. He said, I have found a meeting for you to go to. It was called the Sun Club. And they had fairly frequent meetings during the day there in Sun Valley or in Ketchum, Idaho. And if you're ever out that way, people, do yourself a favor and, and check that place out. It has got some serious um, serenity and some real good juice and some some decent sobriety to be shared. I, I have everlasting love for the folks in that room because they saw me when I was I was – struggling to maintain cruising altitude or to even achieve cruising altitude i was i was in danger of stalling and and augering into the earth and we went out there and we went hiking um we went skinny dipping in some idaho mountain lake that was frigid and i mean really cold and uh and we communed and he said, uh, he said, I got you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to make sure that you go to meetings and I'm going to be here with you. And if you want me to go, I'll go. If you want me to get rid of every ounce of alcohol in our house, I'll do that. I told him he didn't have to, though, not, you know, but, but he said, he 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 was there for me and i needed that because i will tell you folks i did not have i did not have a lot in my life at that point i had pretty much lost everything that was on you know on the outside maybe it looked totally normal you know and and again i'll get into all of the details there but inside i was it was a rocky place where serenity could find no purchase. I 
picked up my 90-day chip at the Sun Club or at one of the meetings in Ketchum. And um, I told that story about Camp Carolina and that little boy and how I dreamed of having a friend and how I could almost smell the smoke in that campfire. I could feel the hair, my long kind of hair at the time. You know how the 70s were, the little kids, 11 years old. I could feel the cool wind on my face as that little boy prayed for a friend like that. And I was sitting there almost 50 years old, and I had that friend. And I'd had him for a long, long time, and he'd been there with me. And he stood up with me and he got my 90-day chip with me. And I took it and I asked him to hold it and pray and bless it. And he didn't have to say anything. He just looked at me. He looked at me and, he, and I saw a heart that would always let me in and never let me down. And in his eyes... I saw someone who was saying, I'm never above you. I'm never below you. I'm always beside you. I got you. <clears throat> and we talk about and say my glory was I had such friends. I have such a friend and I've had such friends. And it was, it is, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from my higher power that I have been blessed with people, angels, superheroes that were always beside me. Funeral Blues by W. H. Auden. Stop all the clocks. Cut off the telephone. Prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone. Silence the pianos and with muffled drum, bring out the coffin. Let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle, moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message, he is dead. Put crepe bows round the white necks of the public doves, let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east and west, my working week and my Sunday rest. My noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood, for nothing now can ever come to any good. You know, that's an interesting poem and one of my all-time favorites. I know that there's probably debate and controversy over the meaning of the poem and the nature of the relationship of the subject, but... I do believe that two men, two women, a man or a woman, friends, 
can be intimate and deep friends and such that you could say of a man, he was my north, my south, my east and west and not have it be sexual or uh, a different type of relationship. I think you can be soulmates with a friend. I think you should be soulmates with your best friend. I hope you can be that kind of friend to someone. And I hope that you have that kind of friend in your life. I would like to close by saying that for those of us in the program, it is that kind of friend and the people in it are those kinds of friends. Think about what you can gain from someone and give to someone in the program and you don't even know their last name. What a frank and sharing, committed, honest, vulnerable, open-hearted relationship you can have with someone in the program. And there are just millions of them out there. What a, what a beautiful life it is. What an amazing life second to none. And I truly believe that the single greatest advantage and blessing that life gives us is our friends and the capacity to be a friend. You know, my mom used to say all the time, to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And I encourage, I work on trying to, to learn what that means. That if you want to have a friend, you need to be a friend. You need to, to, to work to discover and find people that you admire and, and who you say, you too? I thought I was the only one. And you just know. And once you find that person to, you know, appropriately develop and forge that type of bond and friendship and then nurture it. And then if you're lucky, you'll have the opportunity to prove your worthiness of the friendship. I mean, that's where it's so great is when you prove your worthiness by being that person who always lets your friend in and never lets your friend down. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. 
we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our podcast, episode number two, Always Beside You. As we go, I'd like to take a moment for silence, a moment of silence for the suffering and for those sick and suffering inside and outside the rooms. God and the higher power of our understanding, please allow us to discover, forge, nurture, and develop true friendship, deep friendship, and meaningful friendship. Most of all, allow us the opportunity and the capacity to be that friend who can look at another man or another woman in a time of great distress or need and say, I'm never above you. I'm never below you. I'm always beside you. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions or suggestions about the podcast, certainly contact me at extravagantpromisespodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get me on the interwebs at Instagram, which is at extravagantpromisespodcast on Instagram. You can DM me or, or put a comment in one of my posts. I will try to read them and try to respond as best I can. I would like everyone to know that this is a nonprofit uh, podcast and not meaning that it is a nonprofit organization, just meaning that I do not now, nor do I plan to ever accept uh, or solicit donations or uh, sponsors or anything of the sort. This is my form of service and I hope you will support the podcast simply by spreading the word and letting folks know about it and um, commenting and giving good reviews, if hopefully, or bad reviews if you don't like it, on the iTunes and, and on the internet and Instagram. Love to everybody and serenity to everybody.